Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Collector's Corner. This is an episode I've been excited for a really long time because we're going to talk about rare Pepe's and we're also going to talk about Mint Gold Dust, which is a platform started by my good friend Kelly. But this has been a long time in the coming because I love the Pepe meme, really want to dive into it and understand it better. And we have with us Theo, a rare Pepe scientist, but we'll do full intros. I don't know what to call this, if this is into the collection or creator's corner, a little bit of both. They're both fantastic collectors too. So before I ramble for too long, video episode will be on the podcast, but really recommend you check it out on YouTube because we're going to be going through a lot of websites. And without further ado, let me quickly, uh, I'll ask my guests to introduce themselves. Actually, they're both OGs, though neither of them likes to call themselves OGs. So they're humble OGs, but maybe we could start with you, Kelly. Maybe you could introduce yourself, kind of how you got into Web3 and your interest in, in Rare Pepe's and, and what you're up to right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, <clears throat> thanks to Theo for being my co-guest. Um, I got involved in um, data centers, I guess, um, after 9-11 happened. And that was that I was working in software for BMC software. And I became very interested in data centers. And then eventually, um, because of my interest in data centers, I became very interested in Bitcoin um, and international digital currency is what I thought it would be, which was kind of cool. Um, and traveling all over the world. I've lived in multiple countries um, through the years, and I just thought um, that would be a great thing to have instead of carrying around multiple currencies in my wallet. I really didn't think through the economics of it, but um, I just thought it was a cool thing when I heard about it in 2009, 10. And then I became very interested in it in 2014 with the mining aspect um, and understanding how data centers work. Um, it just kind of uh, became something very um, interesting. ASICs came out on the market <clears throat> and these mining machines, and it just became something of an obsession with me. Um, and I was in Malaysia and uh, some, a few friends got together and we started looking at the machines and trying to figure out how to get the machines to actually, um, mine Bitcoin. And then, uh, little by little, um, being in the data center industry, I thought maybe blockchain could be a replacement for databases and, um, and little by little, I became interested in smart contracts. Uh, in 2016, I decided to leave the uh, the data center world and really jump full force into the blockchain world. And I started working with a company called BlockApps, and um, Kieran James Lubin, Joe Lubin's son, um, Joe Lubin created the or co-wrote the Ethereum code with about Vitalik and 20 others, and um, that's who was kind of my mentor into the blockchain space. So even though at the time I didn't really understand what a, what a Bitcoin maxi was, I was a Bitcoin maxi. And then with the 
invention of smart contracts, I became very interested in Ethereum blockchain and protocol, which leads to smart contracts for um, digital and crypto art. And um, John Crane and Charlie Crane were working with me at Block Apps, um, and they decided to leave and start a company called Super Rare. Um, so that's why I really became really interested in crypto art. I didn't really understand that the Bitcoin protocol had already produced some pretty awesome uh, crypto art as it stood prior to me finding out about crypto art in 2017-18. Um, in fast forward in 2020, I just decided that there were some platforms out there that had for crypto art and NFTs um, that had some pretty cool aspects to them. And I just wanted to create something uh, that encompassed a little bit more. I won't get into detail maybe later on. Um, and I reached out to a couple of people that I knew from the crypto art world of 2018, 19, and began working on what is now Mint Gold Dust. Amazing. Amazing. That's a, uh feels like a, a PayPal mafia moment at, at block apps where a lot of folks there have gone on to do awesome things. And yeah, like foam foam, those guys, uh, Chris and a bunch of guys at foam, um, also came from the block apps team, uh, when I was there. So they're doing amazing stuff as well. So yeah, it is the PayPal mafia really. Yeah. I love it. And I'm, I'm glad that folks are going to be able to hear this because a lot of people don't probably don't know about the start of Ethereum, you know, who Joe Lubin is, Consensus, the early, everyone uses MetaMask, but do they know like that, that it came out of there and things like that. So for newcomers, I think this will be awesome to hear. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could spend probably all day on that, but I, I want to throw it over you to you, Theo. How did you get involved in the Web3 craziness and become a Pepe scientist, an OG of the OG Pepe scientist, as, as Kelly would label you earlier. That's a pretty big question. So how, how did I get into OGs. Web3 craziness and how did I become a Rare Pepe scientist? That's kind of a whole podcast to itself. Um, I think we're in uh, Web5 currently because uh, Web2 plus Web3 is Web5. And uh, so, yeah, I'm Theo Goodman. I'm a Rare Pepe scientist or a former Rare Pepe scientist. I guess that's forever a scientist. I also worked for Proof of Work Media as Chief of Memetics, which was a consultancy in London, consulted like projects, ICOs, did branding, things like that. Um, I also worked for NIM Technologies, uh, which has built a MixNet overlay network. Um, so it's a privacy project. I was head of community for about three years. Um, I'm also a live auctioneer. Um, also do a lot of other things. I'm an artist, DJ, um, speaker, host of the, the OG show every Thursday, 9 p.m. Central European time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, the OG double underscore. Um, how did I become a rare Pepe scientist? Well, it just kind of happened. Um, it just kind of happened. Uh, we can get into some of the details later in the podcast. I won't fill up my intro with my full CV, but if you want my CV PDF, uh, I'll sell it to you as an NFT uh, 101, um, taking bids per DM right now. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, it, you know, I remember you doing the auction at the uh, fake rare event 
in, in our Basel just a couple months ago. And, you know, I didn't put two and two together, but it was very professional auctioneering there. Thank so you. that, that makes sense. Well, amazing. So, and Kelly, you alluded to this in your intro, but you said that after learning about super rare, you realized that there was already art on blockchain. Is that when you discovered rare Pepe's and sort of fell down the rabbit hole? You know, I didn't really discover rare Pepe's until a little bit later. Um, I had heard about, I think some of the first things that I heard about, obviously crypto kitties, um, and, um, moon cats, uh, and crypto punks, but I really didn't, I didn't really take to them. I didn't really understand pixelated art. Um, and it, it just didn't draw, it didn't draw me in. You know, my, my grandfather was an artist in New Orleans in the French quarter. He was a, a, a painter similar to like, he was very traditional um, painter. This isn't one of his pieces, but he painted similar to that. And um, I just grew up, grew up around artists, like traditional artists and musicians and uh, songwriters. And, and I didn't, it didn't catch the pixelated uh, art, uh, crypto art didn't catch my eye. Um, and then when Joe described the whole crypto kitties, Ethereum situation, um, by saying he, he said, uh, crypto kitties didn't, um, attempt to break Ethereum, but it did challenge the protocol. I thought there was something there because it was obviously, um, something that was, really adopt adopting for the masses within the community within the ethereum community it was something that was catching on within the ethereum community so i thought there's something to that i didn't really um get become attached or have a love for the frog until um the rare af2 i believe uh i was at the rare af um two auction in williamsburg john uh, crane had invited me to it and there is when I, then it dawned on me that these um, Pepe's, these frogs were something really um, meaningful. And there was a huge uh, underground community around it because there was so much, you know, Matt Cain had done a piece and then there's the socks and then the book. And then there's like all these things that were at the rare F2. And I was like, whoa, there's, some, there's something definitely here. But there was also punks there as well, which I had already you know, in 2009, early 2019, I think it was, the, uh, was the rare F um, two. And, and at that point I was seeing, I mean, I already knew about the punks, but um, when I, when it really dawned on me that there was community around these projects was when I saw the rare Pepe's. I'm laughing because I'm sorry. I just want to interject a small tidbit. I'm laughing because um, a rare AF2 is a rare arts festival too. Um, as far as I know, it's the second NFT conference that's just dedicated to NFTs at all. Totally. wasn't NFT really was not the hype word then. It was still kind of like art tokens or crypto art. But basically it was the second. But I mean, you have to imagine uh, what you see now at an NFT conference to, to then. I was still in New York, but it was a very DIY space, underground. I mean, like, everyone's like, okay, this, like, this little area of the wall is mine. Like, you go over here and do your things. And, like, everyone's, like, hammering stuff on the wall. And it's, like, kind of, like, 
sort of fitting and there's like a kitchen right here and you know it's like it's way different than but it was awesome because and it, i couldn't find the bathroom so grass, it, yeah it was so there grassroots was like, there's like this bathroom i remember the bathroom was like anybody oh yeah i remember the bathroom too it was kind of like under the stairs and it's it's like so you have to i it's hard to explain but it's just I'm not so sure if there's different. any toilet paper that kind of yeah it's just so <laughs> different so i think the energy that kelly was talking about was like really on display there because it was very um personal and very um authentic in your face um event and like commercialism wasn't there and if it was there it would have just been like who the fuck are you so yeah it wouldn't have been widely accepted yeah it would have been like so it was really street kind of like mixed with like weird crypto art stuff kind of feeling so yeah and and everybody everybody there was not there nobody there was there for the money because there was no money right it was it really i mean i guess it was an auction but it was really like it's because you you wanted to be there that's definitely because you wanted to be there but that's the thing people also i think you need to put it in perspective because um there was money in a sense because it was from nothing because before that there was zero you know and then it was like wow this is a thing I mean, I remember when people, I mean, there was supposed Genesis trading pre-Rare Pepe. There were some chats and Telegram people were trading them and they were going for some money. I can't remember how much. And some of them were really sought after and they had their little like mini trading meetings and stuff. But when some of the Rare Pepes sold for 10, 20 and 100 bucks, people went totally insane. And um, and when I did the first auctions in the Rare Pepe chat, um, and like UFO Pepe sold for like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. People went banana, like bananas. They went crazy. So, because that was, so was there money to be made? Yes, there was. And that made people go insane because they were like, whoa, how are you serious? Like, how is this even happening? So the dimensions of the money are different to the last bull run and the other years, but there was money there, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they were not there you know, I think some people had done some, maybe done some raises, some VC raises, but they were not making mega bucks at all. Yeah. The Rare AF2 was kind of, when I walked in, you know, I had come from like selling, I, I, I sold the, I, I had signed like three or four months before that, one of the largest blockchain as a service enterprise deals, um, B2B. And I walked into Rare AF2 and I thought, oh, this is kind of a cool arts and craft art show. Uh, people had shit taped on the wall, it, like with duct tape. Um, they had like cardboard cutouts. There was some kind of project like build um, with like, I don't know. It was like a station or... where you could paint a picture and then like put it up for sale. And so it was like Fanny's daughter was there for a while. So Fanny, a good friend of ours, um, she like, I think she was her and her daughter were running it like at least half the day. And you went there and you painted a picture. And I remember, and then like her daughter was like, okay, it costs $10. Like she gave it a price or something. It was like a lemonade stand. Kind of, yeah. Like it had that vibe. So it was like way all over the place. And on the first floor, that was on the second floor, that exhibition floor. And the first floor were the talks. And um, I remember I did a panel and I had to, 
you know, and the PA system was wrecked and I had to like hold them. You had to like hold the mic a certain way because the cable was fucked and not up get in order for the mic to work. And it was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I have a loud voice anyway. For me, it was okay. But it was like, you know, it was just a different, it had a certain vibe to it that was really cool. And um, so, yeah, anyway, that was, and there was money. Actually, there was money in a way because a year before, before at Rare F1, Hunter Pepe sold for $30,000 in Pepe cash or $39,000 or whatever. And so that was such a landmark moment. And, you know, I was doing talks um, at conferences, uh, you know, mostly in like in Europe. And um, and because people were like, what the fuck is this, Theo? Like, this is just pictures of frogs. And I was like, look, you know, this thing sold for $30,000. Here's a picture, here's an article from Vice Media about Marty, the guy that bought the Rare Pepe yacht, and he's living on it in, in Vancouver, and he's probably freezing his ass off in winter, but it's a yacht, you know, technically it's a yacht. And, you know, there's like all these other, you know, proof that, look, this is serious shit. You know, the Crypto Kitty thing at Ethereal sold for, I don't know, whatever, too. So it was like, you know, look, we have these really big sales of NFTs. This is a serious thing. You know, there's so much... You know, however you see it, this is a thing now and you need to pay attention to it was kind of my message, more or less, and just showing examples of what was going on and how things have developed. Was Ethereal prior to the Raria or after? Because at Ethereal, um, I don't there was remember. a... There was I think it was crypto... like a week before or something, like, wasn't it? Like or maybe that it was same... the, during the same time. No, no, I don't think it was at the same time because there were some of the same people because I didn't go to it, but there were some of the same people. No, it was like that week or or a week before or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that we, I think it was very clo they're very close in time periods, but at the at at Ethereal, the reason why I say at Ethereal there was a there was a a virtual coat. <clears throat> Um, that you could wear as a skin as crypto art and it went it auctioned and it was beautiful it was clear see-through uh but it was virtual and that i mean it was it was an it was an actual nft but it was this drawing or design created um to represent fashion in virtual reality and i think it went for like nine thousand dollars um, I was bidding on it for a while and then Joe's dad was standing, Joe, Joe Lubin's dad was standing next to me and he, his profession when he was, before he retired was a dentist. And he was like, why would you bid on that? Like, he was like, what in the world? And he was, he was so sad when I didn't give it, get it, you know, when I didn't, you know, I couldn't afford it after, you know, a certain amount, but I think it went for like nine or $10,000, but <laughs> that was at that period of time is when I, you know, things started like clicking, like there's something here that wasn't here before that has now made this world, you know, this community pay attention. And if it's starting to catch on within this community, then it'll start to catch on elsewhere. But we knew it, we, we were assuming that it would be like, five, 10 years, I, I spoke with Bradley from Unstoppable, uh, Unstoppable Domains at that same event. And we were talking about um, how domains would be attached to crypto art. 
And, you know, it, it was just an exciting time where we're, we were just trying to figure out what, what's the path and where, where's this going? How do we fit in it also? Yeah. And, and of course, things have now exploded both for NFTs and for Pepe's. And so in now with the, the luxury of hindsight, maybe Kelly, you can go first and then Theo, what would you say for why rare Pepe's are important? Like, obviously we know the price tags on them, but I feel like that always follows some real importance, some real value. What, why do you, what would be your response for why rare Pepe's are important or Pepe's in general? Well, I think Theo is better suited for this question, but from my perspective and a very short answer, I think that the community around a project is is really important, but there's messaging behind it. And I think Theo is probably better suited to answer all, you know, to talk about that specifically. But the messaging behind certain projects, uh, what it represents, what it means to the community, um, I think all of those things uh, pull together and with rare Pepe's the, the vibe is strong, um, because each of those aspects of the rare Pepe community and what it represents is really, really strong. And I think that that for me, that's why it drew me into it. It wasn't because of the bright green or the red, uh, the, the, the color tones. And it wasn't because of that only I did, I was drawn to it because of that, but the, but there was this, you know, subliminal message. When you look at rare Pepe's, there's messages behind it. There's there's humor, there's messaging, um, and there's some, you know, I think somebody actually started talking about, you know, there's subliminal messages actually embedded in each of, you know, I, and, and Theo can talk a little bit about that. And I think it's really funny, but when I look at it, that's what I see. I see like, you know, good vibes and messaging and, and they all kind of come together and they represent something really strong. So that, that to me is why I was drawn to it. But, uh, I think there's a lot more to that. I'm just not a deep, deep think an ultra deep thinker, but there is a lot more to it. Give me a break. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. A friend of mine, um, was part of feather coin, this old altcoin, and he might be the person responsible for meaning community as a as like a thing in crypto like community the community and he hates it every time everyone talks about community he cringes and he totally hates it so it's so funny but i'm going to talk about community again and uh he'll probably watch this i'll tell him about it he probably won't want to watch the whole thing but um yes so one thing that happened that was different is that um, to my knowledge, I hate the whole first ever things. Let's just say early, one of the very early, perhaps one of the first um, art, crypto art projects or whatever you want to call it, where instead of one entity creating the art and releasing it. So as for example, Spells of Genesis existed um, and that was a company, uh, Ever, Ever, Ever Dream Soft, and they contracted artists and then they released the art, but they released the art as like one central entity creating the art, you know, whereas with Rare Pepe, you had a system where there's, you submit your art to the scientist for consideration in the directory. So you have a huge amount of artists contributing into this directory and the scientists um, don't have custody 
Um, they don't have any rights. They're not paid. Um, they're just kind of guiding this thing around um, and kind of like as shepherds or as, you know, guides or, or whatever, as scientists. But there's no company or entity that is that is control there and i guess you could say the scientists are an entity but it's not a centralized entity where the art is just being spit out so there's like all these artists con combining all of this stuff together and all of that's creating this huge feedback loop the whole time because you know because like i just give you know some examples of um artistic feedback loop uh when um ufo pepe came out and it was just a gif Everyone went insane and everyone made gifts all of a sudden because I was like, whoa, we could make a, a moving Pepe. And it was like, oh, shit, I want to make a moving Pepe. I didn't think of that. Can we submit gifts? Oh, shit. And then everyone made fucking moving stuff. You know what I mean? And I made Ponzi Pepe and I made eggplant Pepe and like they're like, you know, moving. So it became a thing, you know, it became a thing or then there was like the whole low issuance thing because someone made a real low edgy like. 21 issuance and then everyone and then it like sold for i don't know a few hundred bucks it was like oh shit and then everyone was like on the low issue i'm gonna make one with nine oh, i'm gonna eight there's only one you know like it was like a low issuance thing like everyone was like vibing on the low issuance thing then pepe cash came out and then every and then there was like a whole trend of like trying to emulate pepe cash because then there were like these billion 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 uh you know, issuance ones that were trying to be like mini meme currencies, NFT currency things like Pepe Cash, they emulated it. So there's like, so there were so many like different, um, those are just some like, you know, tech and art things that kind of like feedbacked on each other. But yeah, just the vibe in the community, everyone giving feedback. So that whole, that whole thing, that was a new thing that did not exist before where you have people coming together and submitting um, to a directory like that. So that's, you know, that is what really helped. Um, so also um, there's no VC money. There's no, there's no, there's no marketing budget. Um, so you had, you had um, independent uh, community initiatives um, for marketing, um, which varied from um, Rare Pepe News. I had a website. I published some articles here and there. Um, blogging. Um, I used to talk on World Crypto Network a lot. So World Crypto Network still exists. It's a YouTube channel. It used to be more relevant. And there was every Friday was the Bitcoin group, which was a live podcast where we talked about this week's topics of crypto and everyone gave their opinion. Kind of, It was a takeoff on the McLaughlin group, which you may, may be familiar with. And so when Rare Pepe came out every Friday, um, at 12 o'clock my time, 6 p.m. East Coast. Uh, so when Repepe came out, every answer of, they would say like, well, Theo, what do you think about Coinbase adding Litecoin? And I'd say, well, this is just proof that sooner or later, they're gonna add Pepe Cash. Because once you add Litecoin, you gotta you gotta think about rare Pepe's, and rare Pepe's are going to be the next revolutionary thing. And I'm 100% sure that Coinbase is gonna add that. What do you think, Matt? And so, and I would just answer every question um, <laughs> with something related to Rare Pepe. And so much so that after a few weeks of that, or a month or two, um, Thomas, the host, told me, Theo, you can't talk about Rare Pepe anymore on air. And I 
I was like, what the hell? What the hell is this? I mean, I was kind of like leaving the network anyway, but it was like, what the hell? Like, okay, fine. And I did it. And it's funny enough um, how it turns out. Thomas is a co-founder of Curio Cards. And he started talking about Curio Cards on his show on World Crypto Network. So it's just like, you know, give me a break. But anyway, those are just some examples. Uh, there was, and so what we did for marketing was more like, in the telegram chat okay guys um i made uh kaiser pepe everybody uh tweet max kaiser and like look here and like i'm doing the like retweet me and like i'm gonna post the picture of the the rare pepe one and like just like bombard him with like tweets and like someone's like oh yeah i talked to uh, stacy all the time i'm gonna dm her like da -da -da. it was just like boom 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 and then they did two shows about rare pepe you know what i mean or we would just do like i guess you call it like brigading you know we would be like Okay, who can we, because, so, okay, another reason. All right, so, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, because I. <laughs> I'm going to go off. So community, community, um, combined with, so historical documentation. So examples of historical documentation are, for example, there's Kaiser Pepe. Max Kaiser was like an important figure in crypto, and he kind of like yelled at the screen, and he was like called yelling and crazy shit like that. So then you have, um like BitNation is making fun of the BitNation ICO. Then you have, so you have other, um, you have uh, Dow Pepe hack, which documents the so-called Dow hack, which led to the split of Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. So basically you have these very important moments in crypto that are encapsulated in these rare Pepe cards. And the time, and, and a lot, and sometimes when the things happened, the cards were made really quick, and sometimes they're more like about things that had already happened, but they really encapsulate so much so that during, and they're so necessary because during last run, the last bull run, new people would come to the Rare Pepe community. They'd be like, well, what is this? What is that even about? It's like, hey, have you heard of Ethereum Classic? They're like, no, what is, what's that? And I'm, I'm like, okay, let me give you like a little history lesson. I mean, to me, it's like, we well, should know the history of the DAO hack and like all that stuff. And that's even Ethereum and it's an NFT on Bitcoin, but that's just so funny. But like, so these are also like a lot of the cards themselves are history lessons and social commentary um, about um, things that have happened um, in crypto. And they really um, document them in a, in, a, in a very good time. So I said community historical documentation um trailblazer in the sense that you know it was just kind of like it's very organically happened there's no like real funding it's just initiative of people so i think some of those are some of the things um to give it value in a short form form no that's amazing and i you know you make a really great point about the documentation of of uh, contemporary events at the time when they come out, because even now, as I've started following and seeing the fake rares and seeing what they talk about is, you know, it's all related to stuff we're, we're seeing right now. And of course there's tons and tons of artists that are contributing. I know fake rares are a, a little bit different than the rare Pepe's most Ethereum based. Uh, and so maybe we can just like dive into some of the, the details. Cause I, I think doing this chronologically will help the listeners, right? So this all started with Matt Fury, right? This was before blockchain, before Bitcoin. Um, maybe you can tell the story of how Pepe came to be and how it was perhaps taken and then retaken, reclaimed and why 
perhaps that that mission is, you know, why did the community rally behind it in the very first place, right? Because we jumped in with, okay, there's Pepe Scientists, but like, why did that even happen to begin with? And then how did the fake rares come about from that? Uh... Oh, that's also a fun discussion too. <laughs> um, okay, so like you said, uh, you know, Matt Fury created uh, Pepe the Frog. Ironically, in the first comic, there is the saying, uh, the, the text, um, feels good, man. Um, when the Pepe is peeing, and it just happens to be Goodman is my last name. It's my real name. Some people don't believe that. It just happens to be coincidence, mimetic magic. And um, that took off for him. You know, people you took it and used it as a meme on MySpace, you know, and it, and it, he lost control of it already then. People were going off doing weird things about, with it. And um, Reddit and 4chan... Um, went off with it, and they even created the term rare Pepe because there was even a watermarked JPEG sold on eBay for like a ridiculous amount of money for like, I don't know, $5,000 or $10,000. Not an NFT before, it might have been before blockchain things even existed as a joke, but someone bought it. They might have bought it from themselves or whatever. But this definitely happened. And so they that's where the whole rare Pepe thing. And they then they tried to create like, but this one is even more rare. Look at mine and this kind of thing. So that was already had existed. So fast forward to how it became relevant in crypto. So what happened was in 2014 with the advent of Telegram Messenger, um, Telegram Messenger became the go-to place uh, for crypto little by little. You know, of course, Twitter and Reddit were important, but when Telegram came out, that was a big deal because it was 24-7 chat with all these different people, and it slowly grew bit by bit. So as you know, in Telegram, um, there's sticker packs, and lo and behold, magically, a Pepe sticker pack appeared. And then people, and then Telegram allowed the um, concept of customized stickers. And so people started making um, customized stickers of Pepe the Frog. So there's, there's, and a lot of them are used in the, in like series one and some of the rep, they're actually just from the sticker pack and then like edited, like some of the ones I did too. It's like Pepe in front of a computer screen and it has a price chart and the price is going down. It's like sad Pepe and he's got like empty bottles of vodka and like the suicide hotline written down on his desk and like stuff like that. And there's like happy Pepe and the price is on the, on the monitor is going up and he's like, you know, happy. And there's like a Lambo in the background there were all these stickers and it just kept going crazier and crazier. So I think without this, these kind of sticker packs, the whole rare Pepe phenomena like wouldn't have happened or it would have been slower to happen because that, so Pepe was already established mostly because some people already hung out in 4chan and Reddit, but it was really became a thing in telegram messenger um, in my opinion, from my viewpoint, like how it all happened because we were all talking in telegram. That's where all the magic happened. And so it was already established as a meme and people loved them. And like I said, people were making customized and like, look at the beginning of Telegram. You can ask, uh, damn it, I just forgot the founder's name. The beginning of Telegram, we ruled Telegram. There were these stats of Telegram usage and it was basically like Russia and crypto. And that was like, that's who used Telegram. Like, cause it's from Russia, but like there were these stats of like the most used channels and stuff back then. 
it was all like crypto stuff back then. It's still really big usage, but there's like so many different things now in the meantime. But at the beginning, it was really seeded, you know, crypt the crypto market, Bitcoin, all that stuff really, you know, exploded on that. So that was super important. And I don't think people realize that. Um, another thing um, that I want to mention is uh, the podcast called Bitcoin Uncensored. So there was a podcast, a lot of people talk about it. So it's a thing, it's it's hard to find. It's it's rare because the the man, it's such a long story, but like, but long story short, um, Rare Pepe helped break up the podcast because um, they had a disagreement about like selling Rare Pepe's basically. And um, one of them took down all the podcasts, but little do they know, some people have downloaded all of them and you can find some on Archive.org. And so there are, they do exist, but that was super important because they had a Telegram uh, chat that was related to the podcast. It wasn't like, it didn't happen like, a, but it was called Coin Dojo. Also does not exist anymore. And that was fucking brutal. That was really like a dojo. That was like, cause like back then, like people get challenged now, I think like on Twitter. And some people are like, Theo, you're kind of being hard. I'm like, well, not really. Like, that's just like how we talk to each other. You know, cause like we used to just like, people would debate really hard in that Telegram chat. And like, so, and the whole Pepe meme was also used a lot in that chat. So I can't really, like there was a lot of scam busting. It was the beginning of ICOs. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. So, so, sorry to interrupt. Maybe we could fast forward to when artists decided to group together and reclaim Pepe. And I'm I'm just gonna on the screen really quickly just share for folks who are watching. Um, there's a fantastic tweet thread written by Vincent Van Doe, and we'll link to this in the show notes. But you know this uh, it, this alludes to this first uh, very original Pepe uh cartoon that matt fury put together and then down here they talk about how it started to go viral but at some point you know 4chan has been used for all sorts of nefarious things and there's a movement to to reclaim it which is i think where this artist community came together with the rare the, the pepe scientists and whatnot correct so what's funny is that happened almost at the same time so basically you know in september 2016 um, is when the Rare Pepe chat started and everything started. And um, I think Hillary Clinton said like one or two months later, Pepe is a hate thing, you know? So it was just like, really like, boom. Okay, now this is like, this is now right wing guys. So it was really just like right almost at the same time that happened. So that was, of course, there might've been some of these like memes going on in the internet and maybe even in sticker packs a little, but, um, but like for sure, Donald Trump ones. I mean, that was just a funny thing. There's also Hillary Clinton ones with her green too. It was just like, it was a, it, I mean, I remember telling people that I wanted to start collecting rare Pepe's in like, it was early 2019. And everybody was like, that's like, that's like symbols of hate. Those are like definite, those are like racist people collect those. And I was like, and then I, I, I kind of like backed off from even thinking about them again. And until blockchain week, uh, May 10th and 11th was ethereal 2019. May 13th was consensus. 
uh, May 18th was the rare AF. So it was that whole week of blockchain and crypto events around the Ethereum community, really. Yeah. So there were, so that was going on. And um, so there were several, let me see here. There was some good um, media from the community. So the community, so like basically like people from the community would get interviewed sometimes. And um, how do I get to this? Actually, why don't I just send you the links? It's just easier because you have this thing. So like Fred Wilson did a, um, that was a pretty big deal when he did a uh, blog post about Rare Pepe. So Fred Wilson's a pretty big VC investor. I think that's how I really started to figure. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people after it. So that's May 14th, I see, or 2017. So after he posted his blog, um, there definitely was a lot of interest in in uh, Rare Pepe. He even did two blogs, but here's one of them. And I think he's like, I paid a hundred bucks for this. And he shows a picture of like, one of the rare pepes that he bought and he explains like oh it's really hard to do but these things are really cool and da 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 and unfortunately the the um the comments i think are off because what you'll see in the comments is all of us in the community basically educating basically it's basically what you had is early right click save arguments in the comments you had nonstop people like, yeah, yeah, but it's like right click save and you can just it's worthless and what the hell and all this shit. But like he he got he kind of got it, you know, somehow he found this and he got it and he bought a few and he's like, hey, this is really cool. Um, it took me a few days to figure out Counterparty and, you know, Pepe Cash was a thing. And so he he got it and he posted that. So that was a really big deal. And I also helped with the whole hate speech thing in a way, because, you know, he was like, well, there is this thing. But like, you know, the community is kind of cool. Um, here is another one, and I went um, in Le Monde. Um, that was a big deal. Um, I think that was in February 2017, and one of our community members, I think it's like Crypto Chainer, maybe, and he was like, you know, Rare Pepe is a mirror. Um, what was his quote? Like, Rare Pepe is a mirror, whatever you put into the mirror. And so basically, you know, and then you had the whole, you had uh, a lot of um, let me find another article. They also had a lot of Venezuelan. They've had a lot of Venezuelans, um, which then there was a big cri The crisis was really big. That's also big now. Um, making pepes and uh, earning money to to live with because they were able to sell these things. And there wasn't a lot of money in it, like you were we were talking about earlier. But it was like for them in that country with hyperinflation, it was great. They were like balling, you know. And so, well, maybe they weren't balling, but you know, it was a big deal. Yeah. So, so, so that makes sense. So basically the collective community, I know we're using that word a lot, uh, rallied around reclaiming the Pepe's yes. and making them to no longer be a hate symbol. And this one here on screen is perhaps the most famous one. Uh, so this was the Nakamoto card and these were all on Bitcoin, correct? Like these were not on Ethereum. No, no, they're definitely not on Ethereum. And uh, not only are they not on Ethereum, um, they're pre-ERC-721, pre-ERC-1151, or whatever it is. 1155. 1155. And, and 1151, too. And, yeah. uh, and uh, there was ERC-20, but uh, there was no 
project doing or the Etheria existed as a was part of a hackathon, but that's it. So yeah. So it's on Counterparty, which is on Bitcoin. The tokens are on Bitcoin. Yes. Got it. And the reason I want to bring that up because I think it shows, you know, Bitcoin it's probably easier, almost definitely easier to have an NFT on Ethereum, especially with these token standards, but it shows the lengths that the community went to to make sure that these were solidified, correct? Like in the blockchain, they yes, want these to be permanent. Too. So, oh, go on, sorry. I, I, I was just going to say, uh, and my, I, just one last thing on the history of this before we move on to fake rares and, and how people can find these. I'm curious, the Pepe scientists like you, like you were, was that just a, a an effort to make sure that the types of Pepe's that, or sorry, rare Pepe's that would come onto the blockchain were in this, in the right vibe, right. You know, against hate speech and sort of, you know, okay. like wh well, why did you guys form? Be, sure. It didn't have to be against hate speech explicitly. It was basically, so there was a few things going on. So basically Mike was basically curating most of the ones for a lot of the series but then he would come in this in the scientist chat and be like guys what do you think about this one and so you had um joe was hosting rare pepe wallet and joe was like okay i'm hosting this thing i'm not having any nazi shit on it i'm not having not for school not i'm not having fucking porn on this shit that i'm hosting you know what i mean like we're not you know we have to have like you know it can be edgy but there's a limit to it and we just had to discuss it with each other is, and that was for all things, political, sex, um, people uh, were just like, and like, and like blatant low effort things that were not funny, um, copies of other rare Pepe's that already existed. We had that too. Um, there was, we were also basically also, we really made a big effort um, that people wouldn't get scammed. That was like a huge thing. So that's why you can't have QR codes on your, on your rare Pepe because a QR code, the link can be changed afterwards, you know? And so that could be malicious. It could be to an ICO thing. And that's also why you can't share your Rare Pepe in the Rare Pepe chat before it's approved because we didn't want any pre-sales and we didn't want anyone steal it. So we didn't want to do the whole pre-sale thing like ICO style. And we didn't want people to get their art stolen before it was minted or before it was approved. So there was a lot of things like that um, yes, and um, vibe, and then later in later series, um, we had vibes. We had like, okay, this series is all hand drawn. Please submit hand drawn Pepe's. The series is featuring Groper Pepe. Please submit Groper Pepe's. Um, so we had, and then also um, we adjusted the parameters. Um, like I was saying, so there was suddenly uh, there's the scientists. Yeah. Uh, there suddenly there was this fascination with the mega low issuance ones, like 23 and 11 and whatever. And we were like, okay, that's cool. But like, guys, stop. Because we can't, nobody can collect these things. So we can't want to have everyone to collect them. She said, okay, you have to have like a minimum 300 um, for this series, for example, you know, issuance. And then people went nuts the other direction. We said, okay, guys, yeah, okay, it has to be like between you know, 200 and a thousand. There were just different rules for different series and they're not really well documented, but they that's just kind of what we said. Like submission guidelines for this series are as follows. So we kind of had to, you know, just kind of like guide, guide it along. 
So basically everything that, you know, somebody that wants to launch or that's launching a PFP project now, they all go through this, this systematic way of thinking, should we release 10,000 or should we release 300 or should, it's the same thing, but this was happening in 2016 uh, or even earlier, sorry. Yeah, well, the PFP thing, it's just, it's very, it's 10K and there's like, okay, how many traits do you want? And it's just made by one entity most of the time. So it's kind of a different animal. Whereas here, each one is unique. The artist has decided how much it's going to be issued, how much of it's going to, what the addition is. So it's essentially an NFT addition, each one, um, you know, what the concept is, all that stuff. And a lot of the issuance numbers are conceptual too, like 333 or I don't know, 1987 or, or whatever. Here's the rare puppet directory, the real OG one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so you all basically went through some iterations of trying out different things and maybe figuring out the, the pros and cons of these various types of issuances. And this rare Pepe directory was created to sort of compile the officially, not officially, but kind of like what the scientists and everybody had come together and said, okay, yeah, these are the official rare Pepe's. And it, it stopped at series 36. This is something that I wasn't even aware of. Are these still going on? No, no, these are not going on. So, so they stopped. Um, in 2018, I think April 2018. Um, and but um, the whole time, um, we left a placeholder for Matt Fury. So the whole time we had reserved uh, a token for Matt Fury and had just and had thought, let's invite Matt Fury to do a rare Pepe, and that could be the last one. And we had tried to reach out with him, and uh, actually, uh, when Marty was talking to the people doing the documentary feels Goodman, I think is the name of the documentary, which one one was nominated for a fucking Grammy. This is fucking crazy. Um, and like, it's not even that good of a depiction of the rare Pepe community, to be honest. It's kind of like, Oh, Oh God, they really showed us like that. This is bad. It has like a guy that rented a Lambo and is like driving it around. It's just like, what the fuck is even going on? But anyway, uh, me and Joe did have a video call with them, but it was kind of weird. And he, was, I think Matt was trying to figure out what the hell is this community still. But then the last run up, he became more friendly and he did release actually the final Rare Pepe in the final Rare Pepe directory is by Matt Fury now. So this is a very unique thing that I don't think has ever happened in history. Another first ever moment. So check this out. So I say that Rare Pepe is the amen break of modern art. So for those of you that don't know, the amen break is the most used sample, probably the most used sample ever. It's a snippet of a three-second drum loop, and it's used in a lot of songs. You've definitely heard it. It's like in drum bass music. It's in commercials. It's in pop. It's in like so many songs by now. And so imagine that... And so in, in the same way, it's been distorted and abstracted and used in so many different creative ways, that sample. And that's similar to how Pepe. So Pepe has been taken, but it's been, you look, just look at the ones you have on the screen. I mean, it's so weirdly different, all of them, but they're all Pepe's. You see what I mean? And it's the same thing. When you hear the Amen break, you're like, that's the Amen break. But it's cut up and spliced up in such a weird way, but you still know it's the amen break. So, 
And but there hasn't been a case where a really well known that I know of that a really well known music sample like that, or even art sample, if you want to call Pepe art sampling, maybe you could say that like remixing in a way. Um, I've never heard of where the artist then comes back and then makes an album with the people, like all these different people that used the sample. And that's kind of what happened when Matt Fury was like, okay, now I'm going to do Rare Pepe as part of the Rare Pepe directory. And that's like the last song of the, this like mega album of people that were using his sample over and over without permission, but they're really abstracted a lot of them too. So I think that's a real interesting thing that happened and that people still don't realize. So that's right. Rare Pepe is the amen break of modern art. Here's to Gregory Coleman. Uh, this is the Rare Pepe book, the rarest book. is also a physical directory. For those who have not seen it, it is actually real. And it is a real thing, but anyway. Yeah, and, and Kelly also has an awesome Rare Pepe in the background for astute fake watchers. Rare. Fake Rare, I'm sorry, Fake, fake Rare. rare. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell the story about the fake, how the Fake Rares uh, actually happened? Fake rares. So back in the day, um, one of the reasons the Rare Pepe directory existed was to so people wouldn't get scammed. And so you would say, okay, what is is this a Rare Pepe or is this someone that just made one and would come to the chat? And of course, anyone can make a version of Pepe, but it's not approved by the scientists. So we said always use the Rare Pepe directory as a reference. And then there was a meme, beware of fake rares because there were scammers that would come and try to kind of like hijack the project and kind of like copy stuff from the Rare Pepe directory, but then it wasn't approved and they would try to kind of hijack the community and kind of scam people. Anyway, long story short, you were not allowed to shill um, Pepe's or things that were not in the Rare Pepe directory in the Rare Pepe telegram. And so that's where the name fake rares comes from. It's a very old concept from the community dating from the end of 2016. So then in 2020, 2021, um, Skrilla got banned from the Telegram chat yet again. Now, now the, the context, most people have been banned from the Rare Pepe Telegram chat at least once because there's just a, there's an impassionate debate going on around there. But what happened was Skrilla, <laughs> he um, he got banned, and then he um, said, okay, I'm going to make this other chat, fake rare chat, and if you want to get in, you have to do a fake, you have to do a proof of ban. So he was trolling the Rare Pepe chat by making people post this picture that he got banned for, and then take a screenshot of them getting banned. And if you gave that to him, then he would let you into the new fake rare chat. And so that's how the whole fake rare, the new fake rare thing really took off. And so that, and it was going on for days. We were like, what the fuck is he doing? It's just like crazy. Like, all right, you want to do your own fake rare directory? Great. Have fun managing the community. And, you know, then there's going to be fake fakes and you're going to have to ban the fake fakes and the fake of the fake of the fake is going to come. You have to ban them too. And that's basically what happened. Um, but it really took off. It's really cool. I have made two fake rares. Um, I have another submission waiting. And um, so basically, you know, the Rare Pepe directory, the OG one, let's say, 
um, closed in 2018. And now there is a new one, the fake rares directory, and it's using the same, almost the same structure where there is a group of scientists, um, I forgot what they call themselves. They don't call themselves scientists, but let's just say there's a group and, um, okay, also stop right there, two live Pepe. I wanna talk about that one in the upper left. You scroll uh, down, scroll back up. Uh, so, um, and uh, it's the same method where the community comes together. There's like a kind of group of scientists that approve or disapprove, and then it, and then it goes on. There's also, and then there's, um, so that's the fake rares. They're, they're, what they've made a two system thing there's called, there's the fake rares. That's kind of harder to get into more scrutiny and they have fake commons and that's easier to get into and they and they're released a lot more um so that's basically like their system um two live pepe um is skrilla's first submission to the og rare pepe um directory but uh it was rejected because it was too edgy and that so it's a rare so skrilla's first submission to rare pepe's was rejected to live pepe that's so funny um so uh so this is what he got thrown out because no 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 that's not what he got thrown out because of i don't remember what he got thrown out for exactly but this was just back in the day his first submission and it got rejected so a lot of people got rejected for different reasons you know but this was too edgy. and and, and these days you know we see a lot of pepe memes coming out and it's hard from the outside to tell if they are fake rares or fake comments like how fake commons is okay. It's you look at the fake you look at the fake rare directory, and they have both the commons and the. So then there is also dank directory. So basically, what happened is in the counterparty community, the direct the the scientist directory structure has materialized in different projects. There's dank directory. There is Wojak way. Um, Kaleidoscope XCP is also very old school. They have kind of a different system. Um, what else is there? There's Bitcoins that used a similar system. Then there's Barnyard, which is like a continuation of Bitcoins. So these are all counterparty counterparties so are based on Bitcoin projects, and they all use a similar directory scientist structure that we described how the Rare Pepe system worked, which makes their communities um, grow slower than 10K projects, for example, just to compare, a slower pace and slower velocity but much stronger and resilient and like long lasting. So that's the basic characteristics of it. And um, all of those projects are really good at documenting current events. Like we were talking about earlier, all of them. Like a lot of the stuff you'll see on Twitter is from those, from those crews. Got it. Awesome. Okay. So this, oh man, there's so much in this and I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it and organize it so I can, put it out to our audience and, and help them fully wrap their heads around it. Well, so, just, it's easy for collectors. Just buy everything. It's easy. Just, go, just like right. get counterparty and learn it and just buy stuff, like press a bunch of buttons and uh, just hold it for a while. And uh, when you buy stuff, then put it on a screen and show it off at your party and be like, guys, I have an NFT on Bitcoin. Check it out. And they'll be like, wow, what the hell is that? And then you'll be, you know, you have, you'll have status because you've got, You've got an OG rare Pepe, and they won't know that it's like ten thousand issuance or something. But it won't matter because just that is showing. Like, so all all of y'all watching this, all your collectors and all this stuff. If you just take the time to learn 
counterparty. It's not that hard. You're going to be in the like one or 2% of the NFT market that understands counterparty. You're going to have so much alpha over other people that are unwilling to do that. And they're going to buy on OpenSea and Emblem Vault, which is nothing, nothing wrong with that. But then you still need to know what the hell you're doing. So just take the time. It's kind of like if you want to become an NFT Jedi and learn, you know, the black magic of the underworld of the true memetics that power the whole thing, then you need to go into these the 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 crypto dungeons of these Telegram counterparty communities and just see what's up and just say hi and you know, submit a card or like, you know, participate in an auction or learn how it works because you'll be, yes, it's not the UI UX is you're going to be throwing up. You're going to be like, I hate this shit. What is this? I want to go to OpenSea and MetaMask and just press buttons. And then like, where's the floor price and all this shit. Just forget all that shit. It's totally different thing. New concepts. Just learn it. You will be so far ahead of most people because they're not willing to do it. Yeah. When people start to complain about like MetaMask, I'm like, have you used counterparty? Um, <laughs> that's that, that is a fair point. And just in the interest of time, Theo, we will save that for a more advanced lesson on Pepe's and because I want to pause here and give Kelly a little bit of time. I had some questions for you around mint gold dust and that was amazing history on the rare Pepe's and the fake rares, but we'll definitely do another round two to talk about how you actually start navigating this world from the earliest parts to down to counterparty, like you're talking about Theo, because, you know, it seems like these days there's a Pepe drop on Manifold, like, and, and as a new collector, it's hard to tell which ones of these are, have been reviewed by one of these communities, which ones are, you know, complete throwaways. How do you even think about them? And I hate to say it, but people spend more money in NFTs than they want to. So I want to make sure people don't buy something thinking that it's going to be something valuable only to find out that, that it's not for whatever reason, which happens a lot. But so we'll, we'll get to part two. That was amazing. But I wanted to ask Kelly, Mint Gold Dust, Maybe you could give a quick introduction as to the the platform and where you're focused uh, it, within the NFT world. Well, actually, the two people that wrote the first code and and curated Mint Gold Dust actually wrote the book, the rarest book. So there is a tie to Rare Pepe's, <clears throat> just because we've had people, uh, Theo, for example, auctioned off. I think the most expensive rare Pepe at a mint gold dust auction. Um, it was the series one Satoshi Nakamoto uh, series one card um, and Medicoven bought it for half a half a million dollars in at the um, NFT NYC event auction event that mint gold dust hosted um, in 2021. And so there is a tie to there's a there's a there's a strong tie to rare Pepe's. Uh, one of our first auctions that we ever did as Mint Gold Dust as a company was at the Bitcoin conference in June of 2021, where there were uh, only rare Pepe's up for auction, and we did it at an aquarium down in in Miami. There were you know rare Pepe's there. There were frogs and sharks, um, and people actually literally. There, you know, people climbing the walls to try to get into the auction um, because they had heard that we were auctioning off rare Pepe's, which, I, you know, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, it was really crazy. So um, there is a little bit of a tie, a little bit of history with Mint Gold Dust and the rare Pepe 
uh, community. I, I started buying rare Pepe's really on telegram, um, because Theo invited me and, uh, Lewis, um, also invited me and, and started telling me more about rare Pepe's. I'd been asking about them for years, but I never really got involved with rare Pepe's until probably 2019, um, 2020 that it was that, you know, listening to Theo on doing auctions on telegram, even while I was, you know, walking down the street or sitting at dinner, um, and listening, listening to him auction these things off and seeing, seeing people get really, really excited. Um, and I remember bidding, um, I think it was 2020, I started bidding and I, I, you know, I would see these people's names, um, and, um, eventually got to meet them last year for the first time. Uh, so there is a little bit of a, a tie to that. And we're doing a V2 of Mint Gold Dust and, we have this, we have some color, we're changing some of the colors with mint gold dust, but the, the idea behind mint gold dust, um, for seamlessly transacting for collectors and artists was really to highlight the decentralization of the marketplace. There's a lot of centralized marketplaces where they hold your art or they mint your artwork. Um, and I, I saw that happening in the, the marketplaces that, that are in the platforms that are out there today. And I, I didn't like that. And so I wanted to change that. And I wanted to have another space, a, a real space for collectors and, and artists to seamlessly transact on chain where no one takes custody of the art and no one takes custody of the, the, the funds that are transacting except for the collectors and the artists. And that's who it, it, that's how it should be in a decentralized world. Um, I also created, sorry, go ahead. So just, just to jump in. So contrasting that with the current state, does that mean typically, you know, if I'm buying something off of one of these platforms, the money is custodied after I send it and then it gets sent to the artist later on or vice versa with the art? Yeah, exactly. Um, and even sometimes the platforms, the artists will submit their artwork to the platforms and the platforms will mint from their wallet or a wallet they've created. That means that they have custody of your artwork. They have That means that they have custody of your, uh, even your royalties, if they've implemented the royalties in a smart contract. And that means that they have custody of the funds. Um, and I, I just don't think that's right. I think artists should understand that they need custody of their artwork and they need custody, uh, and, and they need custody of the funds and they should be able to, to transact with, uh, collectors without having to worry about whether they're going to get paid or whether the art, the collectors are going to get their art. Um, I, and I just don't think that, uh, platforms should be creating wallets for artists either just because the art artist says oh well, i don't know how to create a wallet um, or i don't have eth or whatever currency they're you know protocol they're transacting on they should find that out and we have a system within mint gold dust that actually helps um we're, we've actually implemented a little quiz you watch a video and you you're quizzed on um just little things that you need to know as an artist or a collector um, that, that kind of differentiates us, um, very much with the other marketplaces and platforms out there. That's amazing. And is there any specific type of art that you focus on, whether it's, you know, uh, one of ones or generative or editions, anything like that? 
Well, we, we first started out with an 1155 token, which gives the opportunity for additions. We didn't focus, we didn't write the smart contracts based on 721s because there are other platforms out there that had already done that. Uh, we have, we are now in V2 that we're going to launch at the end of February. V2 will implement, we'll have 720, we'll, we'll give the artists the choice to have a 721 or 1155 token, um, the way, what they want to create. So, uh, I, you know, for me, I think additions and 1155 is easy to take into games. Um, and I think that 721 is really for, you know, one of one pieces of artwork. We don't really focus on one or the other over the other. I think that um, we're, we've partnered with a company called Illust Space where we geodrop the artwork. And I think that that to me is really, really uh, interesting in comparison to having it in the metaverse or um, on a screen or a mobile phone, you can actually geo drop uh, the actual NFT in, and geo anchor it into a location. So I'm sitting here in New York and I can geo drop as an artist going through Mint Gold Dust platform. I can geo drop my artwork in Paris, for example. So my buddies in, that are in Paris for NFT Paris can actually view that artwork. Um, by walking down the street, they find it on the map and um, on the Illa space map, and then they can actually find the NFT and view it in in real time. Oh, interesting. So if if somebody geodrops an NFT like that in Paris, but you're in New York, like you wouldn't be able to see it in New York. You would only be able to view it if you were in Paris. Is that right? I could, I as the artist, can view it, um, but it's not going to be when I'm walking down the street and I'm looking for it with my map, my Illa space uh, map. I can actually go to that place and 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 view it, um, and I can interact with it. I can spin it around. I can walk around it. Um, you know, I can actually place it, um, whether it's you know big as a, a, a shoe or as big as the Eiffel Tower. I've geo placed it there as the artist, and then my friends can view it in in reality. Ah, super cool. So it almost. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I need to dig into that technology before, but I hadn't thought of that is, you know, controlling where it can be viewed, even though it's digital or interacted with, yeah. even though it's digital. And recently they've implemented the uh, the ability to have, um, you'll be able to listen to any kind of track or a message or whatever. They've implemented that into the geo anchoring of the NFT. So not only can you view it, but you can actually put music to it and be able to hear it when you interact with it. So art art tourism is gonna really take off because of that. You know, you can go to the Eiffel Tower and it you, you can interact with that NFT that's geo anchored underneath the Eiffel Tower, for example. And you can find out, you know, the historical meaning behind the Eiffel Tower and the reason why it's there, et cetera. Got it. And you could, I'm, I'm guessing at some point, if not now, you could say, okay, not only do you need to be in Paris, but you also have to be a holder of one of my NFTs to now engage in this experience and effectively uh, continue to, I don't know, give special experiences for communities as defined by what NFTs they hold. Yeah, and one of the things that, that just reminded me, one of the things that we are implementing is um, we have plus royalty collectors and we have zero royalty collectors. And there's a, just a flip of a button. If you want to purchase an NFT um, that has royalties attached to it on the secondary market, um, you, have to, you, you have to have a plus royalty collector um, uh, tag on as me as a collector. 
And otherwise you can't purchase that NFT. You can see it, but you can't purchase it. And one of the things that uh, we're trying to, we're implementing now is universal profiles in order to be able to make sure that there's plus royalty collectors and they get um, first uh, options into events and first options to amazing artworks that are on the platform. And they can purchase those before the zero uh, collectors can purchase. The zero, zero royalty collector would have to go in and change his or her profile link that says I am now a plus royalty collector in order to collect those royalties uh, based on universal profiles that we've implemented. Got it. I, I like that a lot. I think incentivizing people to pay royalties uh, might be a better path than kind of threatening to punish them for, for not. Like effectively, the carrot is better than the stick. Yeah, or punishing the artist for wanting royalties on the secondary market. So at, in the, at the end of the day, who pays the royalties is really up to the collector. It's, you know, sometimes people have said, oh, the platforms need to embed that. They need to uh, push that through. Well, I personally think that the collector should have that option. Um, it's difficult to uh, force that on collectors, but they have the option to, to, to be able to give back to the artists if they want to. And, and hopefully with our, with our V2 that's coming out at the end of February, our version two that's coming out in February of Mint Gold Dust, then we'll be able to um, really see a change in the marketplace. I've written about it in our zine, our 79AU, and how I want to really push that out um, at in Mint Gold Dust and make sure that the artist gets the royalties that want the royalties. Or, you know, if if you don't want, if you don't care about the royalties, you just care about the primary market, that's fine. You can you can release artwork to zero royalty collectors. Yeah, I love that you're doing that. And I'm, I'm going to show Mint Gold Dust on the screen real quick so so people can take a look. And this uh, 79 AU, this is what you're referring to. Yeah, and this is our this is our version one. Um, we've we've really listened to the community, uh, and I I like talking about community. I think that that's really um, that's what kind of holds us all together. I think that our community is what's important, and um, we have a good we have an amazing group of artists. Um, I love Chaz Gold; he's great. Uh, his work is beautiful. Uh, if you go through the site, there's so many. I think Theo uh, has some the cowbells, which are pretty cool. You can listen to the different cow cowbells. We need more cowbells. Um, and there's a handful of really amazing artists who really enjoy uh, coming to the site and and writing about. You know, you can write memoirs when you sign up. Um, uh, if you connect your wallet, their, your profile comes up, you create a profile and you have that option to create a memoir of why you created that piece of artwork, how you created it, what you're going through, and also the type of collectors that have collected your work before. Collectors can also write memoirs of why they created, sorry, why they collected specific pieces. Uh, and I think that's kind of telling the narrative, the story behind each of those pieces that we in the in the past five or six years that this craze has kind of started with, you know, we kind of missed that story. Um, and I think it's really important that each piece of art, piece of 
each NFT uh, has a story and each collector has an NFT and, and each artist has a collector. <laughs> That's the, the whole idea behind mint gold dust. You create your gold dust in life. And for me, I believe we mint it on chain and it's there forever on the Ethereum blockchain is what I'm, what mint gold dust is built on. That's beautiful. I love that. And I wanted to just ask you, you and I talked about this before when we met, but you had so many opportunities in front of you, I'm sure of things to build infrastructure wise, technology wise. Why did you choose to focus on NFTs, which are maybe a little bit closer to the, the consumer, if you will, than yeah. some of the work you were doing before? I just think, um, yeah, we I did with Block Apps. We we built um, blockchain as a service for seed companies, for ethanol industry, for energy, for oil and gas, for the trucking industry, for you know even um, upgraded. Uh, we supported upgraded and their Ticketmaster uh, build. They Ticketmaster bought upgraded in 2018. In 2017, we helped them build what upgraded was and that was ticketing system a decentralized ticketing system and ticketmaster bought it and then killed it um so they don't have a, a you know they don't have a decentralized um ticketing uh system anymore but you know i've built so many things alongside of block apps and the team there that i just thought you know when john and charlie started talking about crypto art i just thought there was you know something really inspiring for me and having my, you know, really B2B background, I, you know, it was just something so different. And for me, I would rather look at pieces of artwork every day, um, rather than ones and zeros every day. And, um, I just thought that that, you know, that was more aligned with who I wanted to be in the future, um, supporting artists and supporting collectors to create, you know, to collect beautiful pieces of artwork. We have all these black screens around our house all the time, you know, with nothing on them. And I just thought, you know, for every phone, for every computer, for every TV, for every, you know, screen I see in like a airport or whatever, that there could be beautiful pieces of artwork. You know, last night I was watching the Grammys and I see Rafiq Anadal um, behind, you know, there on the black screens that are in front of everybody on the stage. And then when people get up to speak, Rafiq Anadal is right behind uh, on the screen instead of having a black screen. And so I think to me, it's just making the world a beautiful, a better, beautiful place and inspiring artists and getting, giving them a marketplace, another marketplace or a new a uh, way to to get art, their art and their creations in the hands of the eyes and the ears of people that um, don't get to see them. You can you, you can have creations all you know uh, shared all around the world. I think that to me is ins inspirational, and I would rather do that than build uh, blockchains as a service for seed industry, for the ethanol industry or the trucking industry. I just think it's more interesting. No, I, I, I love that. And, you know, we were, I was sharing with you before we started recording that I have taken the plunge to do Collector's Corner full time. I have all sorts of ideas. You know, main principle here is helping people find that beautiful art that resonates with them 
And we're starting with generative art, but I have ideas beyond that, starting with a podcast, but have ideas beyond that as well. And, you know, our conversation really helped me get to that decision because as a lot of folks who listen to this know, I have a background in healthcare and I have all sorts of ideas for how blockchain can help with healthcare issues, both consumer and B2B. But you told me, and I agree with you, this feels like a really great, almost the first real consumer use case of NFTs that just fits really well, the art side of things. And we're seeing with Rare Pepe's and how that has evolved over the years, how that can really drive community and bring people together from all over the world and smart people. And I think there's something special here too that is a proof point and we'll learn so much that can go and be applied to other areas of life that are interesting and meaningful to us, whether it's art or like I said, healthcare, transportation. I, I don't even know. I think the possibilities are just, it's too hard to figure out right now. And so I really love what you're doing with Mint Gold Dust. I can't wait to see the version two and really, really appreciate you you sharing that with us. And you know, with that, I want to wrap up this episode, but say thank you both so much for coming and joining and sharing. And Theo, I definitely owe you a part two because I do want to go deep on it, but I realized that uh, an hour and a half was probably not enough <laughs> or an hour for, for Pepe's because there's so much history there and so much to navigate. But just for each of you, uh, do you have any parting thoughts for our audience and uh, where would you like people to go to to find you and communicate with you in the search theo goodman i think i just interrupted kelly sorry uh you can also find me on telegram theo goodman together just one word um you might find me in person at a at an event maybe and you can come say hi so that's how you can find me thanks a lot for having me on rare pepes that's what you need to know yeah, you can um at Lee Valley Kelly, L E V A L L E Y Kelly at um on Twitter you can find me. Um and Mint Gold Dust, uh there's info if you're an artist out there who wants to mint some of your work, ping ping the info line. We have a support team that will connect you with our curator and um, that's probably the best way to get on. If, if, if you're interested in collecting, go and create a profile, write your memoirs, write what you're interested in. And there's artists that read those memoirs and then they'll send you stuff. So it's, it's really a great way to, to do that. We're building an auction piece with, um, with the, be able to, where the artist can be able to sell stuff in an auction, um, with an auction mechanism. So I think that's going to be really fun. That's in V2 as well. That's coming out mid-March, March 15th is the deadline for that. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm usually speaking at events all over, you know, I'm, I moved back to the U S in 2017 from the UK. So I'm, I'm usually traveling all over Europe, uh, Middle East, um, and the U.S. to uh, to talk and interact with the artist community. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're at collectors underscore X Y Z. We really, really appreciate both of our guests for making the time. I know you all are busy. Glad we caught you while you were not traveling and able to do this recording. And we will see you again next time. Thanks everybody for tuning in.
Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.